<laughs> what are we gonna do that? <laughs> uh, hey guys, welcome to the Big Blue United podcast. I'm here with just Colin tonight. Dan is doing, you know, some, presumably something more important than hanging out with his buddies talking about sports. Not that there could be anything more important than that, right, Colin? Nothing. Yeah. Um, so now we have a, a a couple. Well, we should mention some some news about the podcast, being that our uh, podcast network, the Pigskin Podcast Net, no longer exists, and they have folded as of. Uh, I think it was a couple days ago. So if you notice our our new branding here, you you can still download the DraftKings app if you want to, but you can use any promo code you want. You don't have to use ours anymore because it doesn't work. <laughs> it was a good run. It was a damn good run. Not for nothing. But we're still here. We're, we're yeah, like Phoenix course. rising from the ashes. We were here before TPPN and we'll be here after TPPN. So uh, it doesn't really mean anything for the people who like to listen other than maybe like we might take an extra week off here or there now that we are contractually obligated to put out a pod every single week. Uh, if a nuclear bomb strikes, it's going to be the cockroaches in this podcast. So you can bank on that, everybody. There you go. But you can still follow us, Big Blue United, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can follow us, BBU Podboys of the Z on Twitter. Um, we're going to do a quick preview of the skill positions in the draft that we think the Giants are looking for. But we also have an interview with Mike Greenberg about his new book, um, got your number, the greatest sports legends and the numbers they own. And that interview was done by our uh, colleague, Adriana. She's at New York Giants fangirl on Twitter. You can check her out and obviously stick around to just hear the interview, which is really nice, uh, fun talk that, that they had together about the NFL and quarterback stuff like that. It was pretty cool. I watched it. Um, all right, Colin, let's just jump in. Before we kind of hit skill positions in the draft. I mean, that basically just means wide receiver, right? Yeah. I, you I, might end I, up I, seeing a running back in a later round, but that's, you know, beside the point. So we're basically going to talk about wide receivers. So that being said, um, we have, you know, these Stefan Diggs rumors, which, you know, we have to talk about, which are kind of fun. You know, he's reportedly upset with the bills, wants to be traded. Um, this basically comes from his brother being a cowboy tweeting that he might be able to play his brother twice, twice a year. Um, presumably meaning that he was talking with the Giants just because the Bills connection. Um, what do you think about the truth to this, Connor? What do you think the actuality of this happening is? Uh, I mean, in this day and age with the social media uh, craze and uh, avenue that these um, professional athletes take where they just, they use it to their advantage. They, they stir the pot. They, they make people talk about him and, and drive up uh, rumors to just make it all a juicy situation and possibly force his way out of, of Buffalo. And what did he do? He didn't even say anything. He just posted a picture of or a, 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 a video or whatever of, I forget what it was, some guy in a movie theater basically smiling and and, and acknowledging the, 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 the pulp of the situation and how oh, this could be exciting, like get your popcorn ready kind of situation mm -hmm. like T.O. back in the day. I mean, I'd take him. He's a talent. I mean, he's. Uh, I don't have his age on the top of my head. What is he, 28, 29, maybe 30? That sounds about right to me. I think he's um, still under 30. Yeah. I mean, I. I've, if anyone's going to grab him, it's, it's somehow it's going to be Shane and Dable. I mean, because of their, you know, intimate knowledge of each other from years ago and and – it would be great and it would be perfect. It would make a lot of sense. We have picks. We could package something together. I don't know who we'd send player wise. Actually, no, Saquon, you can go. Um, that would be <laughs> that would be actually pretty that makes great. sense, actually. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's just all smoke and mirrors, and he's just trying to do it to to kind of get the bills uh 
head out of their proverbial ass, so to speak, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, not banking on it. Would it be cool? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you that this is kind of uh, BS. I think he's just uh, trying to make a point to his team that he's unhappy and whatever you know they need to do to keep him around. I think that they have to because he's a huge part of their offense. And I think if you take him away from Josh Allen, it really takes a lot away from what that team can do offensively. And especially like, you know, they're in a Super Bowl window right now. Don't drop, you know, don't do whatever you can to make this guy happy and keep him on your squad. That being said, you know, I know a lot of people want the Giants to draft a wide receiver with their first pick, despite, you know, kind of all the talent that's been added to the room so far in free agency. So, you know, if if the pe- package of picks makes sense and it's a first round, plus, I guess, some other rate round stuff or, you know, potentially Saquon Barkley would be probably you know, that's a pipe dream, Colin. That'll never happen, but you know, that would be ideal. But in this scenario, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. So either way, what does it matter? Um, If we look into the draft, Colin, so I know I just mentioned, you know, that we do feel the Giants are still going to add a a wide receiver in round one. Do you, that seems to be the consensus around, you know, the Twitter sphere and and Giants. Do you you still think the Giants are leading that way, despite, you know, the moves they made so far? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to be a combination of things all depending on how the draft goes in front of them. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Shane has a best player available bone in his body that he likes to lean into, uh, that I think there are a lot of very good GMs in the league that tend to go that way because they like to just, all right, yeah, need is all good, but the first round is like, if you have a good talent, like it, it might just be best to stick with what's right in front of you and and work that into your squad and then figure out things later on when maybe you feel like you have a one-up on some other GMs and teams where you think you have a diamond in a rough and you can develop something or or whatever. But yeah, I, I think if it makes sense, there could be a wide receiver taken in the first round here. Um, unfortunately, I think the those first two projected guys of the, the Quentin Johnston and, and uh, Jackson Smith. Uh, I'm not going to bother with his other last name, but I think those guys will probably be off the board uh, early to mid uh, at the most. And it would take us trading up to get either of them. Mm. Would it be nice? I, I would like Quentin Johnston because of the height. I think because of our, our midget crew that we have in the, the wide receiver room, it would be nice to add a body there, but I will add, Related to that um, that Reddit uh, link that I sent over to, to you and Dan earlier today about how, and it, I'm starting to to kind of drink the Kool-Aid with this thought process of, of possibly getting um, Waller back to his original wide receiver status and, and be less and less a tight end as time goes on here. I kind of love it more. And that's that big bodied wide receiver that you may not have to uh, reach for in the draft. I mean, maybe you can get a taller guy later on, but you don't have to go for a Quentin Johnston if that's the, you know, the idea there. Um, so that, that fascinates me, but in line with, uh, what Dan has said to us, I don't know if you've mentioned it on the pod itself, but he's, he seems to be a big fan of, uh, Zay flowers, the, um, the guy from Boston college. And he's kind of fitting right in that, uh, projected wheelhouse of, uh, mid twenties where we're going to be. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind it. I just, I don't know. I, we have enough short guys and he's good and, but he doesn't come from a good school is, I don't know. What do you feel about him in general? Um, I mean, in terms of, you know, 
I, I feel like it's kind of where the Giants are picking. It's going to be between him and Addison. Um, if the Giants are do pick wide receiver, I think, you know, they might even potentially maybe make a move to come up a few picks if they, if they really fall in love with one of those two guys. I do like Zay Flowers better, even though he's smaller. He is a little bulkier and he can play outside. He can like, I think Addison gets hurt a little more in the press coverage. Um, I mm-hmm. think he's going to get slapped around at the line a little bit early on in his career. Yeah. I think Flowers, you know, he'll, he, he has a frame where he can put on a little more weight. I think, you know, you can get him outside, which, you know, despite, you know, what his frame might be, you know, he can play not just in the slot. You usually typically would think a smaller guy like him kind of would be, you know, stuck in that sort of position within the NFL. But I think that might not be the case. He might be like a really good outside deep threat, depending on, you know, how he transitions into the league. So in terms of how that fits on the Giants offense, I think that he fits the best of the guys of, that are going to be available or might be available at the end of the first round. Not not that I'd want to compare, but it sounds like if he is as good as he's uh, projected to be and what how versatile he can be being on the outside doing whatever uh, and also being a deep threat, maybe he could be a new age uh, Steve Smith and not our Steve Smith, but the Panthers mm-hmm. Steve Smith, which, you know, he, he – predicated his whole career on on chip on his shoulder tell me i'm small and i'm gonna burn you and score a touchdown and and throw it in your face so i hey that sounds great to me um i'm glad to see that he made a um a very big public effort to show those who are watching that he is trying to bulk up to the point where he's readying himself to be taking that next step because he's going to need it i mean you saw what happened to, to Wandell last year. I mean, yeah, he bulked up a little bit, but he 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 got a, a lot of big hits that just kind of, you know, I think he's probably bulking up as we speak, getting ready for that because he was knocked out of the season. So, yeah, I yeah. Mean, uh, you know, you just look at like when he got hurt, you know, that was like his breakout game. I think, you know, he was approaching 90 yards, you know, but that, that was just like what was going on that offense. There's nobody there. At least now there's, you know, a plethora of dudes that they can spread the ball around to. And, you know, hopefully Wandale comes back and is healthy and doesn't have to take, you know, doesn't, you know, he doesn't need to get a hundred yards every game. You know, he yeah. needs to be con- converting third downs, like, and, and, and doing big plays when it matters, at least you would hope so. <laughs> What's cool about this draft in general though, too, is, I mean, the depth is, is, is deep. I mean, yeah. They could wait until the second, third, fourth, even fifth to try to get someone who could possibly push to start. I mean, there's is there anybody that you you like in the later rounds, um, particularly I, or I I'm not. Uh, well, I there's two guys that I I, I keep uh, going back to in, in mock drafts, and it, mm-hmm. it's uh, Michael Wilson from Stanford and yep. um, uh, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. They both have a little bit of height. This is a theme with me. I feel like we need to incorporate some some talent and size, uh, at least a little bit. I mean, we don't have to go Ramsey's Barden at six six, but like <laughs> let's uh, let's go for someone over six two. Just for, so um, you know, uh, Darren Waller isn't the only uh, jump ball red zone guy. Yeah. In this I do situation. think I do think you're right about what they're going to do with him. Just because you have Bellinger, they're definitely going to split him out wide a oh. lot. That's that's a given, but yeah, I mean, if, if the giants don't end up going, you know, wide receiver in the first round, I think in the second round, you have basically two guys that are um, both bigger bodied dudes. So I think are kind of what you're describing and uh, Cedric Tillman, the other guy from Tennessee, um, yep. he's six, three, two And there's another guy from wake forest, AT Perry. Yeah. I like him for 198 ran a four, four 40. Um, you know, these are more protocol 
prototypical X receivers that the Giants, you know, don't have. And, and you know, while we say we're going to split Waller out, right? Do you envision him, you know, like being the X in a three receiver set? I mean, I'm not sure if that's the level of wide receiver play we're going to see him at. Well, I mean, what if, and I mean, with this day and age, with how um, these teams employ these incredibly uh, intelligent nutritionists and, and sports scientists and such, they could have a program for him where maybe he's going to go into this offseason and this season with a wide receiver meal plan and strength and conditioning plan. What if it's like, oh, you were converted once? We can do it again. You got a little more bulk on you and you're stronger. You've been in the league a while. You know how to, to protect yourself. And hey, guess what? We're going to ask you to block less than you've been doing the last couple of years. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, we're speculating too. I mean, especially because that was just a Reddit post, but I don't know. The fact that he's going back to number 12, uh, there's seemingly a, a, you know, a lot of room on this roster to be an X wide receiver or, or at least moonlight as one from time mm-hmm. to time. And, in, in, uh, whatever, uh, scheme that Dable's going to put him in, uh, I, I just think it's interesting or he could be really that super, um, I mean, I don't want to call him an H back because that's not even true. It's, it's like a true in between tight end wide receiver situation, which is not really uh, a position besides, I guess you'd, you'd call the, like, you know, Kelsey and, and George Kittle, but those guys are more tight end tight ends than anything else that just happen to be great at running routes. And they're pretty fast. This guy is mm-hmm. kind of like, he's a true wide receiver that had to put on the weight to become a tight end. Yeah. So. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him, especially like you just said, he's basically the only guy on the roster to fit in the prototypical mold of what you might want on the outside. So, I mean, in my mind, you know, while I think a lot of people are, are pumped for the Giants to add a wide receiver in the first round, I think there are guys in later rounds, um, you know, between the guys we mentioned, like Jonathan Mingo in the fourth round from Ole Miss is nice too. There's plenty of talent out there. Um, we don't have to get into every single guy because we do need to throw it to Adriana shortly, but um I think that waiting, you know, second, third round, getting a bigger body, and then just adding that to, you know, your six six or seven slot receivers you have at the moment um, yeah. makes the most sense. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talent in the first round that's not the wide receiver position that does fill positions of need for this team as well. We we haven't been in this kind of a spot in the draft for years where where it's so glaringly obvious that wide receiver is going to be a focus. Like, we'd have to... Uh, go on to an, another planet uh, uh, to to not address this in the draft. I mean, it's clear the, the, that that uh, free agency is not really worth uh, delving into because of the money and what have you. It, it's it's just going to be, you know, let's get the cheap guy, the cheap young hungry guy on this roster, and let's see what he can do. I mean, this team's the, one of the younger teams in the league anyway. Why mm-hmm. not keep it as young? Hundred percent. I mean, and really, if you looked at what the free agency market was for wide receiver, there was no real number one out there, other than maybe Odell, who's you know obviously coming off the injury and asking for too much money. So that just leaves you in a place, you know, sour taste in your mouth. You're probably not going to go there in the situation you are, both with the way the cap is and having to re-sign Daniel Jones, and obviously with the franchise tag for Saquon uh, coming directly out of your cap this year. Um, but yeah, guys, um, we're going to head over to Adriana and she's going to do her interview with Mike Greenberg. Check it out. Enjoy. 
All right, welcome to the Everything New York Giants podcast. So by the title, I'm sure you can tell what the podcast is about, but today is a little bit different. We have a very special guest. We are talking to Mike Greenberg as he shares all about his new book. Now, I will let it slide that you're a Jets fan. I know you guys have a lot going on right now, so we can put the Jets-Giants little bit of rivalry, if you will, aside um, and get right into the book talk. So well, can I say quickly about the Giants? Okay. So the, the, I, I'm born and raised in New York. And when I grew up in the seventies, the jets were terrible and the giants were terrible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I never considered the jets and giants to be rivals. And not only that, but when the giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl both times, particularly the first one where, where New England would have otherwise been 19 or no and all that. Mm-hmm. I celebrated the David Tyree catch, the Plexigo Burris touchdown, and everything else, like like it was the great, <clears throat> pardon me, the greatest moment of my life. So um, not only do I not dislike the Giants, <coughs> I'm so sorry. I'll start this again. Something went down the wrong way as I was talking. Okay. <laughs> I can make this funnier too. If you don't mind starting that again, we can do it better. Sure. Sorry about that. A little, there was a walnut in the salad, and, oh, and it got so kind of stuck in a ball at a bad spot. Okay. Sorry about that. Rock and roll. All good. Okay. Welcome to the New York Giants. Welcome to the Everything New York Giants podcast. I'm your host, Adriana, and I have a very special guest here today. We are talking to ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and we are going to talk about his book. But before we talk about that, I just want to say that obviously we all know this podcast is a Giants podcast, so I will let it slide that Mike is a Jets fan. Here's the thing I will say, Adriana, and thank you for having me. I am a Jet fan, of course, but I do not dislike the Giants. Not only do I not dislike them, but I am on record as saying that when the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, particularly the first time when they otherwise would have been unbeaten, I celebrated the David Tyree catch. I celebrated the Plexigo Burris touchdown. I celebrated the Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck defensive pass rush like it was my own. So I think my credentials as not only not a giant hater, but but a giant admirer are very well in order. So I think if any Giants fan had any animosity towards you for being a Jets fan, they they forgive you now. But I always said I grew up in northern New Jersey and my entire high school was split between Jets and Giants fans. And I never understood the rivalry. I'm, I'm more concerned about what Philadelphia and Dallas is doing than I am about the Jets. We share a That's stadium. That's exactly right. We can all be friends. <clears throat> That's right. And we're not... we. Our success has almost nothing to do with each other. Right. There was the one year the Giants beat the Jets <coughs> and knocked us out of the playoffs. And by the way, that was the, the Victor Cruz, the long touchdown by Not Cruz, knocked the Jets out of the playoffs and the Giants springboarded them to a Super Bowl. So there's no reason for a Giant fan to dislike the Jets, that's for sure. I agree. We, we, can, we can all get past that. Um, but for for everyone who doesn't know, aside from Mike being on ESPN and you've done radio shows and now Get Up and all of that, you are also now a five-time book writer. So this is your newest one called Got Your Number. And I have a couple questions for you because I, I was lucky enough to get my hands on it and I started reading it already. And I... I read in the introduction that you talked about how the book came to fruition. And it's 
from the other books that you've written, it seems very different compared to those. So I wanted to see if for the listeners, if you could go into a little bit about that story that you told in the book, how the book came to be um, during COVID. Yeah, of course. So um, I have never written a sports book before. And the reason is pretty simple. I didn't have a good enough idea. Like I just couldn't think of anything that I felt was worthy of writing an entire book about in sports. I covered lots of things in shorter uh, form on TV and radio, but you know, in a book you need, you need something that you can flesh out. So one day it happened to be during the height of COVID. So after we wrap up, uh, get up, there's nowhere. You remember those terrible days, there was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So the few of us who were still working in the, in the building, were sitting around afterwards and we just got into a conversation because we're just a bunch of sports geeks. We got into a conversation about how many quarterbacks who were in the hall of fame all wore the Jersey number 12. Joe Namath, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, Joe, uh, Jim Kelly, uh, Bob Greasy, and, and of course, Brady and Rogers, who both will be in the Hall of Fame. And Pete McConville, who's the executive producer of Get Up, said, yeah, Greeny, they all wore number 12, but which one of them owns number 12? I have no idea what motivated him to say that. He just did. And in that second, Adriana, a light bulb went off over my head. And I thought, there's the idea. And I called my literary agent and he said, yeah, it's a good idea. So I hired Hembo, my main man who has been doing my research for me, going back to my days on Mike and Mike, we've been together for a decade. He did all the research and I did all the writing. And so we decided in this book who owns every number in sports history from one to a hundred. Most of them are players. Some of them are teams. Some of them are coaches. One of them is a horse. And, uh, and, And it was a really fun, exciting, process and something totally different for me. So I, I couldn't be more thrilled about the way it came out. And it's very interesting so far. I've gotten in a few chapters. I think I'm up to number 15. And I think the way that it's done, for regardless of what team you love or specific players, to read about some of the interesting facts, like I'm a Yankees fan, I love Derek Jeter, and the way that you wrote about him and you know Babe Ruth and everything, I just thought it was fascinating. And I think that any type of sports fan is really gonna love this book. And you also- Thank you. Can I say something very quickly about that? I I appreciate it and I'm delighted to hear you say that because one of the things that at least in my youth was very common was that we read a lot of books about sports history. Like I read about players that I had never seen. And I guess I blame myself for this, but my kids who are both good sports fans, neither one of them has anywhere near the same appreciation of the history of sports that I had mm. um, growing up. Like they, they, they my, my son can tell you everyone who plays in any of the professional sports leagues today, but he doesn't, he knows Derek Jeter, but he there's plenty, he doesn't know Ozzie Smith, just to go through some of the names that will come up early in the book. Mm. Ozzie Smith, Bobby Orr, um, he's probably heard the name Bill Russell, but I don't know how much he knows about the stories of Bill Russell. So that's what I'm really excited about is that the book is about sports debate. Certainly we're, we're, we're choosing players and, 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 and instead of others. And so people might disagree, but then the research, the, the book is really meant to be a book about sports history where people will do exactly what you're talking about, which is learning things, even about athletes that they know that they didn't previously know Babe Ruth, for example. And you and I both know how many home runs he hit and, and, and the fact that he was a legendary player. Did you know that, that and I, we found this out in the writing of the book, that in World War II, when the Japanese soldiers were uh, attacking the United States, they were screaming, the, the Japanese soldiers were chanting, 
the hell with Babe Ruth, go to hell Babe Ruth. Like they associated Babe Ruth with America more than any other person. That's incredible. Not the president's yeah. name. They were talking about Babe Ruth. That, 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 that's, that's the sort of thing that we found and, and put in the book. So it's as much about history as it is about debate. Yeah, and I thought that was so interesting because something that I had never heard of either. And when you talk about sports history, I, you know, I have this Instagram page called New York Giants Fangirl, and I, I just love the Giants. And what I did last summer, when you talk about the history of these teams, you know, a team like a giant, like the Giants, that's so legendary. There are so many young fans who only know the Giants as OBJ and Saquon, and they don't know the Dave Browns and the Phil Sims and the wilderness years in the 70s. So I did this fun series last summer where I just picked a different position group every week and just went through all either the quarterbacks for the Giants and everything like that. And so many people were like, I, I had no idea that Dave Brown even existed. I didn't know, you know, that Carl Banks was as good as he was and all of those things. So I think the the history with all of these teams is so fascinating. So good I think for you. That's really great. That. I go back further. I'm a million times older than you are. So, <laughs> I mean, I go back in my youth, the Giants were Spider Lockhart. Um, and, and before Phil Simms, um, you know, the quarterbacks that they had and, 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 and obviously going back to, um, you know, the, the Frank Giffords and, and, and things like that, which goes back before my time. There's an appreciation for that sort of thing. I'm trying, who was the, the Giant quarterback before Sims? I'm trying Pisarchik was there, but that's not who he wasn't a starter for a long time. I'm trying to think who would have been there before Sims in the 70s, all through my childhood. Who the heck was the quarterback? of the? I don't know why it's not coming to me so Tarkenton, quickly. It wasn't right? Briefly. Very, yes. It was very briefly it was Tarkenton. There were other names. Anyway, I didn't mean to sidetrack it in that regard. But the point is, I'm so delighted that you did that because um, sports history is, it's imperative. If you really want to be a, a good sports fan and really understand sports today, you have to understand the history so you can put it into the context that it deserves to be in. So I'm delighted you did that. I'm going to look that series up as soon as we're done with this conversation. Oh, I would love that. Thank you. Let's go back to the writing aspect of it for a second, because like you, I studied journalism in college. I didn't go to Northwestern, but obviously we've seen you on TV and from the radio and television side of things. But did you always want to be a writer? Was writing books on your list. I know you mentioned your dad was also a writer. You mentioned that in the book too. So was he some sort of inspiration to you to get into writing? So my parents were writers. My parents were travel writers. Um, I grew up in New York City and my parents wrote travel guides. Um, most people probably are aware of like the Arthur Fromer travel guides, like so-and-so on $50 a day, Europe on $50 a day. My parents did the mm. South America books, starting with okay. South America on $5 a day, all the way until they stopped doing it. Um, they wrote those books for 40 years and then they owned a bookstore. So I grew up around books and always wanting to be a writer. And I, to this day, I love to read. And I actually got into broadcasting at the beginning, uh, just as a way of trying to pay the bills until my first novel got published. And, um, of course, a few twists and turns later, here I am 30 years down the road and I'm still doing the broadcasting. But um, so the answer to your question is very much yes. I always wanted to be a writer. I revere people who are great at it. Um, I think writing, creative writing, I think, is the, is the hardest thing there is to do. I, I can't paint. I can't, uh, you know, there, there are a lot, so many great art forms. Um, mm -hmm. 
be they you know painting or music but I, I think writing is the one I admire the most because the, the to look at a blank page and to just fill it with words in a way that makes people interested enough to want to read it um, is really hard to do and that's not what this book mm -hmm. is this book is uh, meticulously researched by Hembo and, and I just took them all and, and, and sort of tried to organize them in a way that it would make sense. Um, but writing novels, which I have done, is the hardest thing I've ever done by far and the most satisfying. So yes, I've always wanted to be a writer and I, I hope to continue to be one on some level for as long as I live. What is the process like for writing a creative novel versus writing this type of book? Because oh, I imagine that they're different. quite different. Yeah. yeah, massively. So writing a novel, which I have, well, I've written several, two of them got published, um, is I locked myself, I find I can't write at home because there's too many distractions. Um, for most of that time, we were living in our house in Connecticut and my kids were growing up and there's a dog and there's a kids and there's the mailman and there's the UPS. And, and these days now it's, you know, Amazon Prime six times a day and, um, you know, DoorDash and, and what, what it's just, I can't do it. So I would lock myself in the library. We lived in Westport, Connecticut, and I would seal myself off in as quiet a spot in the library as I could and just focus. And it is a very solitary, quiet introverted, focused experience. Um, and the hardest part of it is coming up with the ideas, is, is creating the story, right? Writing up, and, and it's, it is the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but the most satisfying when you are done. Um, writing this book was very different because this was one where literally Hembo and I sat down, we chose the people, we, we decided who was gonna be, he gave me a list. These are all our options for number one, number two, number three, number four, all the way through 100. We made the decisions, mostly I did, but with his input, decided who we were going to choose. And then he just went off and did the research. And he would present me, you know, in the email, he would say, okay, here's Babe Ruth notes. And I would go through just a page of unbelievable stuff. Someday I'll just publish a book with all the stuff that didn't make it into this book. Mm. Um, there was such great research. So that was really the, the, the primary part of it was writing a little intro, writing a little outro. And, and then organizing all of the incredible notes and facts and figures and stats that Hembo came up with. So that's what this experience was primarily. And it, it was great fun. Um, actually, it was, it, was, it was much more fun than writing a novel, but not the same kind of experience at all. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. Now, I imagine that someone like Brady is easy. You get to number 12, you don't have to think anything else. Sure. Were there specific numbers that you found to be really difficult compared to some others? Like what were some oh, yeah. of the hardest ones versus the easiest ones? That 21 was brutal. So if you haven't gotten to 21 yet, you may not know. So I'll ask you. Number 21 could be Deion Sanders. It could be Tim Duncan. It could be Roberto Clemente. Mm -hmm. Who would you choose? I'm more of a football fan, so I probably would have gone Deion Sanders. So on my radio show, I, I, put, I put a Twitter poll up and I asked the listeners on my radio show, who would they vote? And Deion Sanders won. Hmm. We chose Roberto Clemente okay. because here's, here's how we did it. We decided that in, from a playing standpoint, from, from, from their greatness, let's call it a wash. I can't sit here and say Deion Sanders was a greater player than Clemente or vice versa or that either of them was greater than Tim Duncan or vice versa. Let's say they're all about as good as you can possibly be. Um, 
Roberto Clemente's significance, and this is what I hope people will take from reading the book. If you don't already know the story of Roberto Clemente's life, and not only that, but the story of how he died and what he was doing when he died, and the import, the, the impact he has made on, on not only, but very specifically on Latin American players and their, their participation in Major League Baseball. Um, there, there are, there are um, the, the, the uh, baseball, the equivalent of the Walter Payton Award, I don't have it in front of me what, what it's called, but the humanitarian award in Major League Baseball that's presented every year is called the Roberto Clemente Award. That was what separated him for me, was his importance as a person, and that's not to diminish Deion Sanders or Tim Duncan in any way, right. but something had to break a tie. Roberto Clemente is one of the, the most important people ever to play baseball, and so that was how I wound up choosing there. But of course, you couldn't have gone wrong with any of them four was a tough one also because four was Bobby Orr, Lou Gehrig, and Brett Favre. And I wound up going with Orr as brutally hard a decision as that was because in that one, I did actually go to the playing careers. You could make a very legitimate argument that Bobby Orr is the second greatest hockey player that ever lived. As great as Favre was, he's not that. As great as Gehrig was, he's not that. Um, now, Gehrig is probably the greatest, not probably, Gehrig is the greatest first baseman that ever lived. Um, but I had to, I had to figure it out somewhere. Um, so not putting, not, not giving Lou Gehrig four killed me as a kid. My, my dad grew up in the Bronx. I mean, I, if he was still with us, I guarantee you, he would be calling me the second he saw that and said, Michael, you got this one wrong. And then start explaining to me why it clearly had to be Gehrig. If I hadn't given DiMaggio five, my father would have stopped reading the book. <laughs> In fact, he would have told his friends not to buy it. That's how offended he would have been by that. So those were so there were there were quite a few tough numbers, but the one I remember the most agony over was 21. Okay. Do you think that if Aaron Rodgers wasn't number 12, he would be included? He would have a very good chance. I mean, look, 12 is Brady. There's no way not to yeah. give him 12. Joe Namath is my my favorite player that ever lived and, and, and ever played in any sport. But even I couldn't give Namath 12. I mean, you know, Brady is the most accomplished football player that ever lived. So Brady had to be 12. I will say this. If Rodgers wins the Jets a Super Bowl and I ever do a sequel, <laughs> um, I'm going to find a number for him. I will tell you that. It may not be 12. Um, but let's say for the sake of argument, he wins uh, the Super Bowl in the year 24, 2024, which is what I'm rooting for because that's the next one that will be played. He might get 24 ahead of Willie Mays. That would be a tough one to do. Uh, what mm. Super Bowl is coming up here? Super Bowl 58, 9, whatever year, yeah. whatever number of Super Bowl this is. Maybe I'll give him that number. Um, okay. I, I will find it. If Rodgers wins us a Super Bowl and I do a sequel, I will find a number for us. Okay. I look forward to that. Me too. <laughs> what is um? What do you think, real quick, about, about the Rodgers? Do you think they're going to get it done? They have yes, to. Yes, for sure. I think they're going to get it done for sure. I think, I think both sides are trying to win the deal, but both sides want the deal to happen. Look, in my experience, and I think this extends well beyond sports, there are three parties involved here. There's the Packers, there's the Jets, and there's Rodgers. All three of them want it to happen. Mm -hmm. If all three of them want it to happen, it's going to happen. They're just figuring out the, you know, they're dotting the I's and crossing the T's, um, to use an expression that I candidly i don't particularly like but i couldn't think of a better one um so i'm positive it'll happen um i think the question is as everyone i think thinks will the jets wind up trading their first round pick 
they desperately don't want to. I host the draft, Adriana, so I've been studying players. And I can tell you, 13, which is where the Jets pick, is there's right in the smack dab in the middle of a run of offensive tackles. So for, for fans who are getting ready for the draft this year, I can tell you exactly what it's going to be. The first 10 picks are basically all going to be quarterbacks and pass rushers. There's one corner who might sneak in there, but it's going to be quarterbacks and pass rushers. And then when those are all gone, the offensive linemen are going to come flying in. And there's going to be five or six of them that go between like nine and 20. And the Jets okay. desperately want one. When you've got, when you're getting Aaron Rodgers, you want to get one of those guys. I don't know how important it is to them which one, but they want one of them. And so they don't want to trade 13. And Rodgers doesn't, if you're him, you don't want them to trade that pick. You want that guy to be protecting you. So that's what the Jets are doing. And of course, the Packers on the flip side want it. So they'll continue Mm -hmm. fighting over that. But eventually, both sides want, all three sides want this to happen. It will. And it will happen before the draft. I'm very confident. I look forward to seeing what the what the final uh, trade looks like. So real quick for the Giants, who do you think they end up with at 25? That makes me feel like we might end up with with the top three wide receiver, which I wasn't wasn't so sure about that going into this. Yes. Yeah, so so the that's obviously what they need more than anything. Um, uh, although I could if there's a. I'm trying to think if there's an off-the-ball linebacker that I could see going in that range this year. Um, and and I, I also think that maybe an interior op- – could you see them going with an interior offensive lineman? So there are some very good interior offensive linemen that I could see them going with. But, yes, let, let's say the most glaring need is at wide receiver. Yes, there are very, very good receivers in this draft that I think are generally under – Valued so Jackson Smith and Jigba, the kid from Ohio State, I think will be long gone. Yep. The, I, I've seen mock drafts that have the kid I really like is Quentin Johnston, who is mm-hmm. from TCU, the team that went to the championship game this yes. year. He's monstrous. That uh, Todd McShay calls him a pterodactyl because he's so big and long. And um, if, if he, I've seen some mock drafts that have him going like first or second amongst the receivers. And I have some that, that have him going as low down as that, it, it, like deep into wow. the 20s. If he's still sitting there at 20, let's just say, I'm just making up a number, you know, do you consider making an aggressive move to get him? I think he has special written all over him. How are the Giants looking at tight end right now? I know, that, who's the guy who came on to, late in the season and was playing pretty well that they like? Daniel Bellinger, Lawrence Bellinger. Cager. They also okay. just picked up Tommy Sweeney from the Bills. And now they have Darren Waller. Oh, what am I talking about? Of course. So here I am. Thank God I'm on a Giants podcast to correct me from saying <laughs> something stupid. Yes, Waller is tremendous. Okay, so mm-hmm. forget it. Because the other position that I think is very deep and, and strong in this draft is tight end. Um, I think there will be five or six taken in the first round. Wow. So the Giants not needing one. You know, I, I'm... I actually think that's an interesting one. I think if you're if you're if you're picking at 25, um, I've also long been of the impression that at that point, let someone come up and get someone they desperately want, move back and get a few extra players. Might not be a terrible idea. I wish I had my list of players in front of me because um, I would go through the names of the receivers because there are quite a few that I know a lot of people like. But so yes, um, th- that that there should be first round caliber receivers. Most of the people that I deal with. Mel and others do not think this is a great draft. I mean, everyone's general consensus opinion is that it is not a great draft, not not just the receivers, but in general, 
that the overall quality of the draft is not that high. I don't think there were going to be 25 first round grades. So that's, that's when you start getting into the question of, do you want to consider trading up? Do you want to consider moving back? The Giants did that, well, I was about to say, effectively a few years ago when they traded with the Bears, but obviously that was when they took Tony, right? Was that when they took Kadarius Tony? So yeah. that didn't work out. That didn't work out quite as they hoped. No. But um, it's a move I generally tend to like. So let's see, let's see what they do. I think, I think 25 is right in that space where I could see them uh, – being someone who might be willing to move back for mm-hmm. for a team that that wants to pinpoint someone in particular, maybe a quarterback like Hendon Hooker, who I could see getting drafted late in the first round. Um, maybe if 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 by some accident Bijan Robinson, the running back, sticks around that long, he probably won't. Yeah. But if he's still sitting there, I could see someone wanting to go up and get someone like him. Some of these tight ends I know people like a lot. So that was a very long answer to a, a good short direct question. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, let's put it this way. You know what the Giants are going to do infinitely better than I do. Yeah, it's hard because I feel like there are a lot of holes. So I could see them going wide receiver. I could see them going center or guard. I could also see them going cornerback. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if they took a linebacker. They they need all of those things. So uh, I will be happy with any of those things. I, I'm right. not one of those people that if they don't get Quentin Johnston, I'm going to lose my mind. So I would that's love him. Don't get me wrong. That's why I was thinking of off-the-ball linebackers. That when I, that's why, because I'm just thinking about Philadelphia just running <laughs> around over them it's in that playoff me. game. But, but look, I mean, listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell any fan how they should feel about anything. Last year, was um, the Giants were a miracle. I mean, yes. a miracle. Mm-hmm. And... The fact that I'm, I like what they've done. I know a lot of giant fans are worried about all the money that they gave Jones and everything else. I like it. I, I, I think you, you have found something good. Stick with it. I mean, you're all true. Have you seen what the Jets quarterbacks looked like last year? Um, the grass is definitively not always greener. So yeah. um, I like the Giants. There's nothing not to love about the coach. Um, and I think the quarterback is going to get better and better. You put the pieces around them. I think the Giant fans have got to feel really good. As, as frustrating an ending to the season as that was, I was trying to – my daughter's boyfriend is a huge Giant fan, and so I was texting with him during the game, and, you know, he was he was feeling about it, I'm sure, the same way you were feeling mm-hmm. then, like, early in the second quarter of that game, and I immediately went to – it was a great year. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> right. You guys, it's you over. guys had a great year. I mean, yep. it's obviously – you guys had a great year, which you did, mm-hmm. and, and, you know – I think Philly takes a small step back. Washington is – their quarterback situation is a joke. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens with the Cowboys and the, the Giants definitively have a better coach. If you told me right now the Giants are going to win the NFC East next year, I would not say you were crazy. Wow. I think they're going to have competition, but I agree the way that some of the other teams have made moves. I feel confident, especially with our coaching staff, that for the first year in many years, we're actually going to have some continuity across the board. And I think when you've seen what happened with the Giants over the last few years, that that is immediately going to make a huge difference with the way that this team progresses this year. I think so. No, I think I think it's a good look. It's a good time to be a New York sports fan. Uh, Well, it is a good time to be a New York sports fan. The Knicks are better than they've been in years. The Yankees and Mets are both good. And it is, I was, what I meant to say was, it's a good time to be a New York football fan. The Giants and Jets, I think after candidly, both for the most part being awful for the last five years, um, I think, I, I think are both definitively playoff teams this year. And who knows, maybe even better than that. Yeah. Finally, they have an upward trajectory and a bright future ahead for both sides. That's right.
So my last question, I have to go back to the Giants for a second, is for other Giants fans, I think we, I, I had to skip ahead because I needed to know that LT was there at 56 and I was pleasantly surprised, happy to see that. But are there, are there any other Giants that are in the book that we can look forward to reading about? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so 56 was actually an interesting one because we gave DiMaggio five. If DiMaggio had not been five, then Lawrence Taylor's 56 and the 56 game hitting streak would have been a tough choice because we did that with a lot of these numbers. Um, but we were able to give DiMaggio five, so it wasn't even a choice. And, and to, to be clear, I consider Lawrence Taylor, and I wrote this in the chapter, to be the greatest defensive player that ever lived. He's, he is the single best defensive player in the history of the National Football League. So that wasn't to diminish him as much as it was to say that 56-game hitting streak, I think, would have been an interesting debate. Um, are there any other Giants? God, I wish I should have the list in front of me, and I'm so sorry that I don't. I don't think there are... Um, there are no Jets, actually, with the exception of um, the, the, the number 83 we gave to the quarterback class of 83, which I think is such an interesting collection of people. Now, Marino and Elway each have their own numbers, but that quarterback class of 83, which includes Ken O'Brien, is so fascinating. But no, I don't. I don't. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I do not believe there are any more Giants. Uh, there are a lot of Yankees, as you would assume. There are there there is a there is a Mets team. There are, there is a Mets player. Just trying to think of just for the rest of the New York sports fans, it goes that saying there are a ton of Yankees, um, and there is one there is one entry for the Knicks as well. So there's okay. plenty of New York representation. Great. Well, I'm excited to read the rest of it. Is there anything else that you want people to know before they go pick up the book? Any any other good reasons beside the ones we've already talked about why they should definitely no, pick uh, it up? Thank you for asking it that way. But no, I think the book, it, it speaks for itself. If, if you like sports history and you like sports debate or you know someone who does, um, then either you would like it or it would be a good gift. Um, I'm very proud of it. The book is inarguably good. Um, the overwhelming majority of the credit for that belongs to Hembo. The research is what makes it good. My writing is easy. Um, the choosing of the players was hard, but anyone could do that. Um, what really sets the book apart is the, the caliber of the research, like the stuff you will find out about every single entry in this book, I think will uh, is what makes it good. And, and I hope that people will enjoy that as much as I enjoyed finding it out myself. Yeah. And I expect that they will. So the book is called Got Your Number. You can pre-order it now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and then it's available April 4th for people to go pick up in store or online. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. It was great to talk to you, especially. Well, I enjoyed it too. Thank you for having me. Thanks. This was great fun. Anytime. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed uh, Adriana's interview with Mike Greenberg about his new book, Got Your Number, the greatest sports legends and numbers they own. You can see or you can follow Adriana at New York Giants Fangirl on Twitter. Um, thanks again for listening, guys. You can follow us, Big Blue United, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, BB Pavos with a Z on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's it. Got yes. nothing else to say anymore. E e email Dan. He's waiting. Email Dan. Big Blue United Podcast at gmail.com. He's waiting for you. Peace. Goodbye.